Hey guys, it's Dawn. If you would like to hear the How My Parents Raised Me podcast ad-free, and if you would like access to subscriber-only episodes, join me in the What's the Truth community. You can join via the Apple Podcast app. There's a link right there in the app. Or go to whatsthetruth.supercast.com. Links are in the show notes. Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. No, I never really felt loved as a child. Some of my siblings, yes. My parents, there was so much chaos with them that it's extremely hard to feel love in all that violence and chaos because you don't know when you're going to be hurt again. And so you can't really, how do you feel love? And even if you did feel love, you open yourself up, you're going to get a beaten probably the next day anyway. Welcome to How My Parents Raised Me. I'm Dawn Chitty. When we are born, we arrive here as pure and perfect souls. And the direction our life takes from that moment is deeply connected to what our parents bring to our lives. And what our parents bring to our lives is deeply connected to what their parents brought to their lives. And that's the cycle of families. I have always craved connection with real and raw stories to understand What makes you, you? What makes you the absolutely unique human that you are? Stories are medicine for the soul. They can connect us and they can change the world. And so in this podcast, I'm listening to beautiful souls sharing their story. What happened to them, how they got through and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. 
hey beautiful souls generational trauma shows up in so many different ways depression panic attacks nightmares insomnia issues with self-esteem and confidence anxiety there's a never-ending list of how trauma passed down from generation to generation will show up in each individual for sean keys generational trauma showed up as borderline personality disorder bpd Sean came from an extremely violent and abusive family and his parents were passing on all the things that they'd been subjected to themselves to their eight children and Sean was struggling big time. Deep feelings of worthlessness and hopelessness led to many suicide attempts and on his final attempt he saw the look of terror in his wife's eyes and realised he needed to take control of his life and of his mental health. Sean has been on a journey to heal himself and ensure that the generational trauma stops with him. This is a truly inspiring story and our chat was so extensive that we're sharing this story over two consecutive weeks. Please be aware that there are triggering themes in this episode. Please join me in hearing part one of Sean's story. Sean, you are the host of a podcast called You, Me and BPD, where you are sharing how you have overcome your struggles with borderline personality disorder to help others who are also struggling. I know that one of the major causes of borderline personality disorder is abuse and trauma. And I know that this was a huge part of your extremely difficult childhood. When you look back at your five-year-old self, how much happiness and love did you feel in your everyday life? At five years of age, I didn't really feel much happiness or love. I, I felt there was quite a lot of trauma in our family. Um, it was chaotic in its own way, but my parents were extremely traumatic people dealing with their own difficulties. Um, and then there was eight children. So, I mean, even if you're not mentally ill, having eight children, you're, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with eight kids. But there was an extreme amount of trauma. I never felt loved as a child because it was just so chaotic. My parents were constantly fighting all the time. And there was no real regard for how we were as the children, as in like how, you know, what sort of effect is this having on them? Should we continue these arguments behind a closed door or when the kids are in bed? Or there was none of these discussions that you kind of would have as a parent going, look, not now. We'll talk about this later. Um, it was just kind of Russia and America. They didn't really care. It was just, oh, we'll get, you know, and Europe in the middle. And I often said that it's, it's just we felt like I felt like Europe in the middle of Russia and America. If you two kick off, we're going to fall out on it. And, you know, as a child, no, I never really felt loved as a child. Some of my siblings, yes. My parents, there was so much chaos with them that it's extremely hard to feel love in all that violence and chaos. Because you don't know when you're going to be hurt again. And so you can't really, how do you feel love? And even if you did feel love, you open yourself up, you're going to get a beaten probably the next day anyway. Yeah, so you can't just relax and allow love in when you're on high alert 24-7, right? No. Yeah. no. 
So trauma is generational. Can you tell us about what life was like for your dad growing up? My father had, uh, my father was born in 1941 and he was born into a family of, um, I think five or six. And he was the troubled child. He was the child that caused, he was the me in our family. He was the child that caused the trouble. He was the one who stood out. And when he was eight, he killed a chicken. And his father literally got an eight-year-old child and brought him and, in and put him on a table to cut his head off with an axe. So you're talking an eight-year-old boy being laid down on a table and his father going to cut his head off with an axe. Because my grandmother intervened, my grandfather brought my father and he brought him up the stairs. But as he was bringing him up the stairs, there was thin little strips of wood on the stairs and he hauled in the carpet. And he broke them off in a fit of rage and broke them across my father's back. And again, you're talking an eight-year-old boy. And that's not even where it ends. Like, he, he only done that to get him up the stairs so he could fill the bath of water and drown him in it. So this is what an eight-year-old boy endured. And I'm still not finished. Because my, mother, my grandmother intervened, um, like, my father... My father never, as long as I knew him, took a bat or a shower. Never once. And I often watched my father washing himself over the sink. And his back had all these crisscrosses on it. And I never understood it until he told me that story where he was literally whipped by his father at eight years of age. And when my grandfather wasn't allowed to kill my father... He kept him in every for he brought him in at six o'clock every day for a full year and put him to bed. I mean, so that was the punishment for killing a chicken. An eight-year-old child killing a chicken. He was, you know, like I know my father ended up with like he was fairly, you know, psycho psychopathic. But I mean, when I look at that and empathize with that, what other way could he have went? An eight-year-old has no way of going, I should be okay. They just shut out all emotion. You know, there was no coming. I, I don't think any child could come back from that. And I've never read of a child coming back from that sort of horror. Mm. You know, so that was my that was my father. He had a horrific life. And then he went to he hit my grandfather when he was 17. He went over to England. And when he was in England, my grandfather died. So they never kind of got to mend their ways. You know, and um, yeah, so like, and my parents, like my father was 23 having his first child and my mother was 17. So like you're talking kids really like, you know, and by the age of 23, my mother had five children. Wow. You know, so you're, you're, when you reflect upon, it's, it's easy to say I grew up in trauma and I did, and I grew up in a very abusive house and I did. And my parents were very abusive, which they were. I think as a person, you, you, for me, you have to look back at that and go, okay, now put yourself, you know, you're, I'm 23 years of age. I'm going to have my first child. My wife is 17. By the age she's 23 and I'm 28, 29, I have five children. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I and I still haven't got over my father. Um, I never got to, you know, and I'm and and 
my my mother is extremely depressed human being. Like I've never known her not depressed. You know, she take to the bed. She just she could not cope. She could not cope. She literally could not cope with children. Um, and he was a very like me. He's a very go getter. Get on with it. Get up. Move on with it. Get on with life. And and it's extremely difficult. I do often reflect. Because obviously I know about my parents and I'm more, I'm kind of a mixture between the two. I often reflect and go, it must have been a nightmare for him also watching my mother being depressed, going, what is going on here? Like, your children mind them, you know? So it was just a chaotic house because you had someone very aggressive with someone very depressed. And the more he was trying to, like, I've never said this, but I've often thought about it. My mother would keep you at home and write you a note. And so take you at home from school and you clean the house and she'd lie in bed. Right. <laughs> and he, you know what I mean? Like that's, it was just mental. A plan. <laughs> yeah, mental. Um, and like he'd come in and go, were you in school today? Because he'd know. And you'd, and you'd be told, you tell your father you are. So, I mean, the chaos of the two of them, like she being completely depressed and him being, you know, he was an alcoholic as well. So, I mean, it was never going to work. The only great thing about our family, I say, is we got eight people. And the world got eight chances to try and do it again. And, you know, I'm delighted. I respect the fact that my parents gave me life. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of them being nightmares, they gave me life. They gave me an opportunity that I never would have had if, if I wasn't born. Mm -hmm. Um. But as far as being nightmares, they were nightmares. And I say that with love. Like, they were just nightmare people. But they, my mother came from an extremely traumatic background, too. So you had two people trying to gel two very traumatic lives together and then add in eight children along the way. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. There's no light in that scenario at all, is there? And it's almost like when you come from chaos and you start your own family, you just perpetuate that because you don't really know anything else. No. You All you know is chaos and it's sort of comfortable in a way. Um, yeah. And I think that's that's what the cycle of trauma is. So what was life like growing up ongoing was there any light at all in the relationship with your dad or did you just feel like he wanted to destroy you at every opportunity hey, growing up my father was extremely difficult I can tell you now like he hated me as a child and uh, he he made it quite clear that he hated me but it was extremely difficult because I realized one day he didn't hate me. He hated looking at me because I reminded him so much of himself. And he had to live with it. He had him. And he was looking at me. And I remember figuring this out when I was quite a young man. And I looked at him one day and I went, you don't hate me. You hate you. I'm just a constant reminder of everything you hate about yourself. And he gave me this look of you fucking bastard, you know, because I figured it out. And like after that, I mended my relationship with him. Like, you know, I well, as a kid, 
I would win sports day and my father would break trophies and stuff like that, that I won, like weird stuff, like really just trying to destroy me. Like if I, no matter what I did as a child, he would come in and crush it for me and call me a worthless, useless bastard. So he constantly was focused on destroying me. But really what he was trying to do was destroy the image of himself because I was just reminding him constantly of him. And he couldn't live with that. I was just reminding him of him as a child. Um, so he was doing his best to destroy that image. Unfortunately, if you can logically think, which he didn't as a parent going, this is actually my kid. It's not me. I mean, I'm destroying my own child. Um, and he, he couldn't grasp that fact. Now, at, at five years of age, I seen him pulling a knife to my mother and telling her he cut her fucking head off. You know, and that's weird to look at as a child. And I remember as a child looking at him going, I'm going to kill you one day. I'm really going to kill you. You know, children think like this. I'm going to kill you. And I scaled myself off that for years. I was just scaling myself with height and strength. For years, looking at him going, I'm going to get you like. And when I was 18, he was abusing my mother. And my father was six foot one and my mother was four foot like three, four foot four. She's a very small woman. And he was abusing my mother. And I just, I just, I just went to him. You're getting it now. And he knew. He absolutely knew what was happening. And I, I gave him an unnatural beating. I left him in hospital for over a week. Um, I just had enough of him. I, all the, like, even, even as I was beating him, I remember going, this is for my sisters. This is for my other sister. This is for my mother. I had all this rage inside me and I was naming the people that he abused. It wasn't even me. You know, now are you big? Now are you strong? You were beating the shit out of my sisters. Now look at you. And I absolutely hammered him into the ground. Um, my brother asked me to stop. So I did. You know, it was the weirdest thing. Like, I just stopped because he said, stop. He's Sean, stop. So I says, okay, as if it was just matter of fact, you know. And, and that was it. He went to hospital. He came out and what happened to me? And Mammy said, uh, oh, you fell. And I said, you didn't fall. You know, you're abusing my family all your life. Don't abuse them again. If you abuse them again, I'm going to kill you. And this time I won't stop. I promise you, I will not stop. I was 18. And that was the beginning of the end for me because I became the monster that I always hated. It was absolutely the beginning because I then I realized I had everything in me that was him. <laughs> it was a nightmare. And at 19, like, I couldn't handle it. I was asked to leave the house. You know, I, you'll have to leave now, Sean, because, you know, I became this violent human being. And that killed me thinking that I had to leave. I had to leave because he caused the trouble. I can look back now and I can realize what's a mother supposed to do that has no money? Get rid of the main money earner or get rid of a child. And, you know, the child had to go. At the time, I didn't like it. I was like, you know, I'm being punished for something he did and I was only defending ye. And I couldn't comprehend it as a child. I was 18. Um, as an adult, I'm looking at her going, yeah, she was, she was, she was doing what she always did, survived. She was trying to make sure, look, 
it's a nightmare with him, but he's bringing in the money, you know? So, yeah, I, I went off work and then I, in my spraying cars and I just kept failing at it and failing at it. And it just made me feel so useless and worthless that at 19, I took my first overdose. And yeah, I just couldn't, I didn't want to live. I didn't want to live because I had become the monster. I had become everything I hated about him. And I could just, and then he was right that I was useless and worthless because I wasn't able to do my trade. So that was a pretty dark time for me because, you know, everything that I hated in life was coming true. Everything he said about me was coming true where I was useless. And yeah, I said, you know, I, I don't want to stay here anymore. So I took an overdose, ended up in a mental hospital. My brother took me over, thankfully, and brought me home. And my mother sent my father out for me the next day. And in the car, I was going home with him. And I was bawling my eyes out crying. And I just said, why do you hate me? Why do you not love me? And he goes, I don't. I just don't know how to show it. And that was it. He just, he literally could not show emotion. And I was crushed by it. Like, But I mean, after that, he didn't abuse anyone anymore. You know, I'm 43 years of age. It, you should not hit your father. But I don't regret it. You know. I have to say, I don't regret, like you should not hit your, if my son is only five years of age and I'm just thinking about this, if my son hit me, I would probably bawl my eyes out crying, even though I'm a very big man in a sense of I'm good and strong, but it would kill me to think that he got to a stage where he had to hit me. What did I do? Um, I don't regret hitting my father because, you know, my mother, even though She's a fucking nightmare at times, which the way she goes on, and you know, she can be a nightmare at times. She's she's a small woman, and and you know, you need to just stop abusing stuff like people like that. You just you know, and he just would not stop. Now he never abused her after that. You know, he never abused her after that. Even one year, I've I've never said this. One year, he was just a really awkward man, and and like I was saying to Mammy, are you going to enjoy Christmas? Usher, how would I enjoy? No, she doesn't enjoy anything. She's like ER out of Tigger. She just finds the misery and everything. But either way, she didn't, oh, how would I enjoy Christmas and all this? And, you know, with no tree or anything like that. So I went off and I bought a tree and I bought a few lights and put them up outside. Now myself and my father were pretty good at this stage. We were really had a good relationship. I don't hold grudges. I don't, I don't, I don't believe in that sort of stuff. I don't, I don't hold grudge for people. But anyway, I brought the tree and I put it up and I went into him and says, listen, you, you, you owe me a fucking hundred euros. And after going out buying a tree, I'm the, like, I wasn't a child. I'm the fucking child. You're the parents. You should be acting like parents. So I says, I bought that tree and I bought the lights. You owe me a hundred euros and you bought the tree. I says, cause she's miserable. And she's not fucking going to enjoy this Christmas. Will you just do something fucking nice for her? I know your fucking head doesn't make sense with stuff. Just do something nice for her. I says, she's your fucking wife. And he didn't know what to say. He goes, uh, I'll have a few next week. And I went, okay. Right. Now it says, when she comes in, you say, I bought you the tree. Because you did buy it because you're giving me that money. Right? And that's the way I'd be. So anyway... The mother came in and he scratched the back of his head and he goes, 
I got you a tree there for Christmas because I just wanted you to enjoy Christmas. And the smile my mother had on her face. And I've never said it like I've never told that story. She doesn't know. She still thinks he bought the fuck. He did technically buy the tree. Um, but it was just stuff like that. He was a bit awkward with stuff like that. He couldn't see the magic of life and try and enjoy it, you know. And um, yeah, like they were, they were, <laughs> they were mad in their own way, to be honest with you, you know. Yeah. Mm. Oh, but I love, I love that because, I mean, what you went through. Because I know you even got dragged out of bed at night time and got beaten when he got home from the pub and things like that, didn't you? Um, I did, the, fact, yeah. the fact that you were able to get to a point and you weren't really that old, only in your late teens, that you were able to come around and have some forgiveness and to see what was going on. I think that's pretty amazing there because he was however old he was and he hadn't figured that out. Yeah, my father was 36 years older than me. Um, I, you know something, I was asked the other day about forgiveness and I'm, I'm a forgiving type of person. And I wasn't always forgiving. I was a very hatred, I would get you back type of person. And I always had this pit of anxiety in my stomach when I was hating people. And I was feeling sick. And I was just there one day going, I feel terrible every time I hit. Now, I'm extremely black and white. You're like extreme. And I would talk to myself in the third person. And I was just going, every time I fucking hate someone, I feel sick. So that's weird. Like, I'm feeling sick, even though I want to hate them. And I said, like, I'm going to have to learn how to forgive people because I don't feel good. <laughs> that was it. So I started looking up how to forgive people. And again, I don't hold grudges. I, I, I never had, I, I'd get you back, right? But that would be it. So in other words, you done something, I'd get you back. And I go, now we're done. And we would be done in my head. In other words, you done it to me, I done it to you, and we move on. Even as a kid, like, there was a guy and he wanted to fight me and I was never big into fighting. And I was actually with all the abuse I had, I never went outwards and fought. I never, I never gave my abuse to somebody else in a sense of this happened to me. So I'm going to do it to you. I never could understand that. I wanted to direct it all at him, which I did. I stored it all in me to get it back at him. So I, that's where the violence came from when I beat, when I beat him. But even when I was fighting with that guy, he wanted to fight me, so I fought him, and I, and I got him down. And I'm very good at getting people down because of all the beatings I got. So I can take somebody down really quickly because I'm hyper alert if someone comes close to me. And I got him down, and I had him beat. I think I was 12. And I went, look, you're beat. And he goes, yeah. I said, okay, come on, come up, so. And I, you know, I got him back up. I said, so we're done now? He goes, yeah. And he hit me. <laughs> I got him down again. I says, listen, we're done. Do you understand? We're done. I says, now, if you get up again and hit me, I'm going to kill you. I says, I promise you, but we're done. So he goes, I won't hit you. So I got him up again. And I, and I took him up again and I shook his hand and I says, we're done. So I'm not the type. I'm not the type to, to kind of go in at it. But with forgiveness, I, I needed to forgive my parents. I mean, they're my parents. Uh, who am I 
to judge them in a sense of going, you know, I didn't live their life. I didn't have that happen to me. I didn't get fucking an axe put in my head. I'm not saying what they did was right. But I mean, I didn't live my parents' life. I didn't have to endure all that trauma. I didn't have to try and manage eight children, especially me being the nightmare child. Um, like all of my siblings got in line, mm. except for me, which is, which is why I got bet a lot. They all, like my father would say, do something, and they just stood and done it, whereas I wouldn't. So, I mean, as children go to two mentally ill people, I was the ultimate nightmare for them. Yeah. Absolute yeah. ultimate nightmare. Even, even the other day, and I, I, I find this comical, literally the other day, like the love I have for my mother is huge. It's just so much. And I was abused by another sibling quite a lot, and my father and my mother. But my mother, because she heard a radio interview, was asking me about, you know, a sibling that abused me and what happened. I said, like, oh, she done this, 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 and this. And I, was, and I said, but I don't really pass any heat now on it, which I don't. I don't really pass any heat. That is terrible, she says. I couldn't believe them two done that to you. Like, I never done anything. And I went, uh, you kind of did. <laughs> and this was literally two days ago. And she goes, well, I never abused you. Well, you call me a monster every day, like, and, ah, Sean, like, sure, that's not abuse. <laughs> well, I grew up thinking I was a monster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sure, that's not a big deal, is it? Well, I didn't like it. I kind of always thought I was a monster, so I, act, I acted like a monster. I didn't do anything else to you. I, you left me, like, you were kind of going around doing a religious thing she was trying to find God years ago and brought me and I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And she was bringing me into just Hova's witness place. And I, I, I wouldn't go in. I was eight years of age. I was like, I'm not doing this. Cause she brought me to born again, Christians. And they were, they were talking in tongues and it scared me. And they were all talking in a circle and they were kind of looking and it really scared me as a child. So when she brought me to the Jehovah's witness, I was like, I'm not going in. And it was about two miles from our home and I wouldn't get into the car to get a lift home. She goes, leave him there. And they left me. <laughs> and I was like going, not very Christian of you. Um, so I, I had to walk home as an eight-year-old child. And I said this to her, I says, you left me on the side of the road. Did I? Yeah. Ah, but she wouldn't have got into the car, would you have? I says, I wouldn't have got into the car, but I was still an eight-year-old child. I mean, you, you would have had to just walk home with me. Yeah, but you wouldn't have got into the car. No, I wouldn't have got into the car. I'm sure then. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like explaining what she did to me as a child. I was going, you know, and you don't under you know what, Sean? There were tough times. And I said, Yeah, there were. And like, and there were, there were tough times. And I mean, that was only two days ago. So like I have no um anything inside me like like i'm laughing telling the story and i was going back to work laughing my head off going she's fucking mental in the head like i love her so much i absolutely love her so she's mad in the head like she's just mad in the head in her own way like you know you don't see that generation doesn't see that as abuse yeah and that's what i was just thinking i think back in those times you know, they had a, a very different idea of what was acceptable, especially towards kids. You know, kids were the lowest kind of form of life and they were mm. the end of the uh, food chain and nobody really 
cared that much. You know, you're allowed to do anything to your kid. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But when I look at your life, and obviously it was very difficult, and you're talking about never feeling loved, but I know you talk about your brother-in-law when he came on the scene and how much love you felt from him can you talk about how how that changed you or how that affected you that feeling that you got from your brother-in-law that was huge and even now like my heart is um it's kind of bleeding in its own way to be honest with you like um like i went down to my brother my sister and i went down to my brother-in-law in in uh, august in um 1989 and he simply I know it's simple to him, but he brought me to see a film, Batman. And when we got there, it was already on. So he brought me to see another film. And then after that film, he brought me to see Batman. So I got to see two films in one day. And that's after triggering a thought in my head. I love the cinema. Never realized that. There you go. Um, and he was showing me so much attention and I was like, oh, my God, this is a lovely feeling. And he was buying me the treats and whatnot. But he just showed me so much attention. I was overwhelmed with love. And on that day, I decided to become a panel beater or spray painter. It's the same trade, like, because of his love for me. Even we went off working he, and, like, we went off doing his trade and there was so much to this week that he, I was down with him. We went off working and I, you know, he was working on a, a Renault 5 at the time. And he goes, oh, if you sand all this car down, I'll get you a skateboard. And I was only like, you know, 11 years of age. And the things he'd done for me as a human being, like he knew I wasn't going to sand the car down properly. But he wanted to get me to skateboard. And he taught me these valuable lessons. I do the same thing to my kids. Do you want something? Well, if you sweep the floor, I'll get you this. Or if you clean this, I'll get you that. And these life lessons by a man that wasn't my family, he installed so many life lessons into me. As a child, I mean, I'm 25 years spraying cars and I don't even like them. I have no interest in cars. I'm the worst person you could have in the panel beating trade because I don't get excited about pieces of steel. Um, that's what they are to me. They're pieces of steel. Um, but because the love I have for him, and even when I'm smelling the paint, when I'm, you know, 
little things that he'd done for me made a huge impact on my life. Even when we went out working uh, in his trade, we forgot the milk and he had coffee. And he was giving coffee to, you know, an 11-year-old. And I love coffee. So all of these tiny little things that he was just being himself are huge impacts in my life. I love coffee. It's a, it gives me a homely feeling. And it's because we drank coffee together, an 11-year-old child, and uh, he would have been 30 at the time. Little things. And, you know, I have my sister as well. You know, two major human beings in my life is my eldest sister and, and this man. And they showed me nothing but kindness all through my life. Like, my sister is one of my best friends. I started talking to her when I was 18 and I am the man I am today because of her as well. I mean, she is the most kindest human being I know. I'm 25 years talking to her and I can ring her and talk about uh, reading a book about ants and talk to her for three hours about how I think ants are class and like some of them are farmers and it's amazing. And I know she's like, oh my God, this is so boring. <laughs> And she's just going, ah, oh, that's a wonderful, that's a great story, son. She calls me son because she's 13 years older than me. And she would have reared us, you see, because of where, what we came from. And that kindness has developed me as a human being. Absolute kindness. That just general. And she took, look, the reason I do the podcast is because of my sister. She showed me, just listen to people. Just, just, just show them that you can listen. She never told, she's never given me one opinion in 25 years of talking to her. And I could, I could talk to my sister for six hours on the phone when I was in a bad way back then. Not once did she say, I think you should do this. She always said, you know what you're like, son. I know you have a good enough mind to figure this out. That's all she ever said. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. Just having those, just having those one or two people in in our lives, it makes such a massive difference, doesn't it? When you're coming from a family like that, but I'm interested in a family where you have so much chaos and abuse that these beautiful souls still come out of that. Honest <laughs> to God, I mean, you didn't I, like all turn into crazy chaotic monsters. You all turned into beautiful humans. The worst. In our family is me. <laughs> like, that's the fact. Uh, I'm even scratching the back of my head. Out of us all, I was the worst. Um, 100% by tenfold, I was the worst. I caused the most trouble. I got arrested. I was up in court. Um, none of the rest of them. Like, you know, they all have their own troubles. I'm not going to say everyone got away scot-free. You know, every one of them in their own way. Bar, um, the youngest, um, and he's a complete fucker. He's a gentleman. But I mean, I talk to people no more than yourself around the planet, and you're listening to people's stories. And I look at our family and go, wow, how did we not end up in prison or, you know, something? And I was only thinking about this about two weeks ago. Because like that, you're talking to people. And, and we had 
I won't go into detail. Every form of abuse that could happen to anybody bar killing them, we've had. Every form. Nothing was left out. I'm not going to speak about any of my siblings because this is my podcast, but every form of abuse. So I looked at all of that and went like, wow, how? We all pulled together as a family. We, from an early age, huddled together and minded each other. And because the head of our family is a natural, kind and caring human being, she was our mother figure. She was the one who, there's no badness in my sister. Like she, I do call her a lamb at times because she can't see people that be making an, an Egypt over and doing wrong. She just sees the good in everybody. No matter what, she just sees the good in them. And she's the head of our family. And, you know, we, through her and, and the rest of them, they're all different personalities. We all is pulled together. If any one of us gets stuck, the other seven come in and help. You know, no matter, and we all don't get along and we all don't agree with each other. You're talking a very large family. But I mean, even if one person in our family gets stuck money or anything, the rest of them pull in and help. Even when my father was dying, and this is something I love about our family. When my father got diagnosed with cancer, um, my mother was kind of working part time at the time. And she wanted to stay at home and mind them. And we all got together and we, we met up our wages, every one of us. Like we just all got together, met up our wages. We live in a council house. We made sure he was in a home. And we gave our father a fantastic debt in a sense of we were all there. We all minded him. We all took care of him. And it took him nine months to die. Um, and I love that about our family is like we, d- we could have put him into a, like a hospital or something and left him there. We could have done that. That's just something you can do in Ireland. And we decided that Mammy wanted to nurse him and, you know, see him out. And we did too. And we gave him a great debt. And I'm so proud of our family that we didn't do anything other than that. You know, for a man that completely destroyed, like, most of his family and scared a lot of them. Yeah. And and when he was dying, was there any remorse or no, did he, which I'm did very he grateful speak for. about anything that had happened? Um, no, no. And I'm so I am so grateful he didn't. That is one of the things I I'm a very much like my father. Do it, commit to it, and get on with it. And he was the same way, or I'm the same way as him. And I'm so grateful he never apologized on his deathbed. I would have never, I would have never forgiven him. Thankfully, he wasn't the type. If he apologized on his deathbed to me, I'd be like, no, you can fuck off. You had all your life to do this. You can fuck off. No way. And it's one of the things I hold so much pride with him. And people can't understand that. He done it. He committed to it. And he moved on from it. Even though it was beatings, even though it was abuse, I'm doing it. I stand behind it. And I'm not changing my mind on it. I can respect that. 
I can completely respect. I don't, I don't agree with what he did to me or my, my siblings. I can respect the fact that when he decided to do it, that's what he did. And no, he, like my sister asked him for forgiveness or are you sorry? And he goes, I am. Um, but she asked. I mean, she asked, you know, what are you going to say? No, <laughs> you're dying. So, no, I, I respect the fact that he never called us in. He never said, look, I'm so sorry for everything I've done to you. I, I completely respect that. If he, if he didn't, if he done that, I, I would have lost all respect for him as a human being. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And you mentioned earlier that you, when you went to learn to be a panel beater spray painter, and you felt that you were failing at that, then you tried to take your own life. And you mentioned that that was the first time. Were there more? Were there more times? Yeah. So I was nineteen. When I was 24, uh, I, I upped the tablets. When I was 27, I increased the tablets further. Um, and then when I was 31, I slipped my wrist because the tablets weren't working. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know, I was, I'll be honest with you, when I was 35, I was kind of shitting it going because it seemed to be every four years I was cycling with suicide. 19, 20, you know, 23, 27, 31. Now, thankfully, no, <laughs> I'm well on. But um, yeah, I just got this feeling of never going to achieve anything in life. I was never going to be worth anything. I was never going to be somebody that was going to be able to be happy. I was never happy. That's something I was never happy. I was always empty inside. And I buy stuff and I, I, I buy something and I was a very good worker and I not was, I still am. I mean, and I'm very determined as well as a human being. I mean, nobody can see this, but this, this thing here, this dragon when uh, behind me, when I was 16 years of age and working, that was 500 pounds, which was huge amount of money at the time I was earning 64 pounds a week as a wage. So it gives you an idea of how much it was. And I went into a shop and, oh, could I, you know, how much is that? And she said, oh, you wouldn't be able to afford that. And there it is. Determination with me is huge. If I'm told I can't do something, I will do it. Um, so, yeah, like uh, growing up for me, even though I got all these things, it gave me five minutes of pleasure and then I went back to feeling empty. So no matter what I bought, what I achieved, I just got about five minutes of pleasure and then complete and utter em emptiness again. And that was a nightmare for me because that's why I wanted to die because I was like, nothing is working. Even with the house, I built a lovely house. Like, I'm so privileged. I'm in a studio. This is not even the house. This is literally a studio. Like, I built a really... I built the perfect house because I was afraid of not being perfect. So everything was done to perfection. And when I built the house and I was finished build, I didn't physically build it, but I got it built. And when it was finished, I still wasn't happy. And I slipped my wrist a month later. You know, I was like, sure, if you're not going to be fucking happy with this, I mean, this is a huge achievement. And I'd 
I had my own business at the time and yeah. And, and one of the reasons actually, I'm just thinking there in 2009, I stood outside a garage. I had, I had actually achieved I know my own business. I had lads working with me. I bought two, bought a house and I built a house. I had a brand new Jeep and I was doing really well. And I stood outside my garage going, now I stood up, I looked up into the sky in 2009, in January 2009 and said, now am I a worthless, useless bastard. Look at all I've achieved. I have two houses. I have a garage. I have people that work with me. I have a Jeep. And then I went, oh my God, you're doing everything to prove a dead man wrong. And that crushed me. And I never sprayed after that, which was my true love. I stopped spraying. Because even the spray painting, I was trying to prove a dead man. You see, because my father took everything from me as a child, if I done karate, he mocked me and then I stopped. If I, if I won a race in sprinting or running, he mocked me and then I stopped. So everything I, I loved as a child, he came in and took it from me. And he did take it. As I can say as an adult, he took it because you have that sort of, um, you know, power over a child where you can influence them to stop doing it by just running them down. So when I became a panel beater, because I love my brother-in-law so much and I was useless at it. It crushed me, but I didn't let go. I just held on to it. And I failed and failed and failed. But I kept holding on to it because I didn't want him to take that from me. I didn't want him to take my painting away from me. And if he took that away from me, I would have been crushed as a human being, not realizing that's what I was doing. I was trying to prove somebody wrong. And when I figured it out in 2009, it crushed me. And a month later, I slipped my wrist because I stopped painting then. And that's where the... You know, I, I just, I went, your whole life has been determined around proving someone wrong. You're a fucking failure. You've just been proven your, your whole life has just proven someone wrong. Yeah. You know? Yes, it's a pretty heavy realisation to have, isn't it? When you've just been living yeah. it and not even realising that's what, what you're actually doing. Um, so that, you're talking about that as the last time you tried to take your life. What changed after that? Uh, what changed was I didn't expect to be here because I thought by slipping my wrist and I literally watched until I seen bone. I thought that would do, it, you know, and when I recovered in hospital and I seen the fear in my, in my, she was, you know, my fiance at the time, my now wife, when I seen the fear in her eyes, I just went, you're destroying people. You're not doing what your father did, but you are destroying people. You, you need to stop this, like, because you're absolutely destroying people. And the fear my wife had, I'll never forget her eyes. It just was, a, it would have destroyed her as a human being. And from that day, then I, I, I made a promise to get better. And I have, I've never stopped. I've literally never stopped, like, I, the only thing I did was I said, if I ever got better, I'd go back and try and help people, which is what I try and do now with the podcast. But I've never stopped trying to get better because it was such a traumatic thing that I did to myself that um, you have the power to destroy people's lives with suicide. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you're gone. But they're paying, you, you literally destroy. It ripples outwards. I never realized what suicide done. It ripples. All your pain goes to other people. Whether you like it or not, you know? Yeah. So I've never yeah. stopped. I've never stopped trying. I'm completely recovered now. I don't have intrusive thoughts. I don't have meltdowns. But I still would never stop. I love learning now about the brain. It fascinates me how it can do that to itself, how it can literally, I literally was watching myself as I was slicing through my wrists. Mentality behind that. How much pain is a human being in that they can literally just watch this as if it's nothing. I was so numb with emotions that I was just watching it. Um, And and even that, I don't, I do reflect on that going, that's a serious amount of pain for a human being to be in, even though it was me, to go through that. And that's where my determination is now to improve my life and get better, because I do make a joke, and I'm going to say it this time, most people will give their left hand, I'd give my left hand to have a peaceful mind. I literally did. Um, so, yeah. So, so your hand is damaged? It's completely deformed, yeah. Oh, wow. It's always, it's always, I can't, like, right for the camera, so I can't straighten my fingers. Yeah. And I can't close them in. Wow. Yeah. I completely deformed my left hand. Um, fantastic for Halloween. <laughs> and scra- and, and, oh and scratching backs. It's ex- <laughs> Like for scratching backs and Halloween, you couldn't get it any better. It's constantly in a scratching position. Um, Beyond that, it's pretty useless. That's the conclusion of part one. Please join me next week when Sean and I continue our conversation in part two of this double episode. the show notes for a direct link to all books recommended in this episode come and follow me on instagram at my big love project drop a review if you're listening on apple podcasts and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it you are such an incredible soul because you are you you are unique your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thank you for joining me. I'll catch you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.